Um, has anybody ever done uh, a job that was adequate, but uh, maybe not excellent? Okay, you probably don't even raise your hand. Now, has anyone ever been convicted, like they did a job, they got it done, but they were like, you know, it probably wasn't done the best that I could, and went back and like, you know, like did it, improved upon it. Can anyone think of anything concrete? What's that? My wife does that. Does that cost, oh, to you, but you've never, you've never, yeah. You know, those dishes, yeah, 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 you know, I got the dishes wet, Put them in the rack. <laughs> you can hardly see some of the stuff that's stuck on there. So um, as a high school teacher, you know, I deal with that a lot where students, you know, have certain, certain things that I want them to do, and then, you know, they got the job done. They checked the box. We are like, is this the best you could have done? Um, and sometimes they're, they're a little dismayed where they're like, I did what you asked, um, but I don't give them, you know, 100 uh, because, you know, I leave that room for doing things with excellence and trying to, to you know, and I tell them that. If you, if you just kind of check those boxes, this is what you'll get. If that's fine. It's always, the, the, and, and I, it's almost uh, disheartening sometimes when you have a final. So you guys ever remember where, like, anyone ever calculate their final and you're like, I only need a 30 to still keep my whatever. So you go in, you're like... Sometimes even purposely, like, you'll go in in your pajamas to make it even like, look like I only needed a 30, you know. So, so I, I could not even study and do that. And I remember some of, like, my top students would, would do that. And I'm like, come on, see what you can do um, on that. But some were like, no, I don't have to. And so as a teacher, you're like, okay, I guess. But, you know, in your heart, you, you kind of want them to always do their best and always try. And there's plenty of things. You know, sometimes on the other side, if you're a perfectionist and you try to get everything done, you know, um, you know, with perfection, it would take forever. And so sometimes you've had to almost kind of settle and get things done just to kind of move on with life. But hopefully as our heart and our minds uh, uh, always push us for excellence, and there's always been those jobs where I've done, you know, and, and whether it's a wife or, uh, you know, a friend or a dad, you know, pointing things out, like, well, you, got the, you mowed the lawn, but you missed these spots. Um, to kind of always push and increase and, and uh, get, um, get a little bit better. And that's, I, I think, what we're going to see um, when we're not held to accountable by somebody else, um, like a boss or somebody physical in our lives. It's really doing things uh, unto the Lord. And uh, I think we'll hopefully see this a little bit in, uh, in, in Paul and Barnabas um, as they continue along their missionary journey and uh, finish out the work that the Lord has uh, given them to do. So uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter uh, 14, and let's start in verse 19. And last week, um, we looked at kind of, you know, how Paul presented the gospel, uh, especially to that gr- group in Lustra, where they, um, you know, they, he shared the gospel, a man was, had faith, um, well, we don't actually see that he shared the gospel, but a man had faith, and so because of that faith, we assume that he shared the gospel because he had a faith in something. And it was a crippled man that he healed. Um, and because of that, the people wanted to revere them as gods. And Paul kind of stopped them and corrected their thinking. And that's what we looked at last time, kind of how Paul did that and, and kind of corrected their thinking and really used that as an um, illustration for how we can engage with others and do the exact same thing that Paul did uh, when we engage with others um, in, in talking about the gospel and sharing about who God is. And so, as a result of that, verse 19 says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, 
And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with uh, Barabbas to Derbe, which is about 60 miles from Lystra. So 60 miles is about a three-day journey. And we talked about that, you know, the, the fact that it was probably a mob violence um, uh, I don't remember if I talked last time. It was like one of those things that I forgot to save, uh, you know, what, what I did on my computer, and it totally erased. So some of the things that I can't remember if I said it or, or had it, like, researched um, for that. But it was interesting. I, I found a document that was all the stonings in, like, the, the, of, among Greeks and Romans to see, is that something that was particular to the Jews? And interestingly enough, um, uh, the Greeks and the Romans, uh, there are examples of when people were stoned, but they were never used in the way that the Jews were using stoning, as an offense, uh, blasphemy against God, and that it would have been uh, something that would have been um, said, okay, this person is guilting, and now he must be stoned or she must be stoned. Uh, the, the Romans and the Greeks, every example, a lot of them were either military treason uh, or political unrest, but almost always it was some sort of mob violence. And you kind of see that here. So we kind of talked about that a little bit um, last time. But uh, there's actually, you know, interestingly, somebody, I guess, looked at every historical example in Greek and Roman literature about when stonings occurred and try to, try to find some parallels about when those things occurred. And typically, like I said, it was usually like done on the spot. Um, as a reaction to someone or something that somebody said. And so that's what we see here. And Paul was stoned, thrown out of the city, uh, left for dead, and he gets back up, goes back into the city, and leaves. And so we kind of read this next section, but you know, Paul and Barnabas, they go back into the fire. Um, when they had preached, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, so they're, they're, back, they're in Derby. When they had preached the gospel to Derby, that city, and had many, made many disciples, they returned to Lustra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord, in whom they had believed. Okay, so... As a result of Paul's near-death experience, right? So he's stoned, um, and they thought he was dead, but he wasn't dead. Did Paul stop preaching in Derby? And the answer is what? No, no. Now, you know, again, if, if I had people hurling rocks at me, um, you know, wanting me dead, and, you know, obviously I'm in a state where I'm on the ground, unconscious, uh, thrown out of the city gates... Um, I don't know, one, physically, how much strength I would have to get up and go back into the city, and then they left the next day, to travel three days' journey, 60 miles, to Derby, and then continue preaching the gospel. So physically, you know, uh, we don't know again how, you know, obviously, physically, he healed somebody who was crippled, right? The Lord used him to heal somebody who was crippled. So perhaps he had no injuries, but we do kind of get a sense that, Paul endured uh, physical um, abuse over the years, and that because of that, he was afflicted by those things. So imagine physically he felt something, either at the time or even as a result of that, but also to go there and then to possibly uh, get the same, um, you know, the same 
repercussions, you know, uh, back on him by preaching the gospel again. And so, um, fortunately, he and Barnabas persevered, and it says that they preached the gospel, assuming they preached the gospel, and made, because many disciples were made. There's no major issues per, uh, reported, um, but only positive things. So where did they go after Derby? And it's really quick. You know, we went to Derby, preached the gospel. What's that? What's that? They went back. They went back, they went back to the, the way they, they came. So um, I'll do a kind of an illustration. All right. So they, uh, so if here is, um, so this is, we'll say this is Turkey. And so they went to Antioch. It's kind of the first place they went. And if we say Cyprus is here, they sailed and they made their way up to Antioch. And I had to go through some mountains to get there. And then they went to Iconium and then down to Lustra, which is about 20 miles. And then they went to, I think it's about here, is Derby. Okay, and this is, uh, this is Tarsus over here, and then Antioch is, so this is more land, but this is kind of Turkey. So Antioch is probably, we'll just say over there. Um, this is uh, kind of where they came from, so they went this way, made it through Cyprus, left this way, and kind of went in this direction. So when they get to Derby. You know, again, uh, left Lustra because um, it was Jews coming from Antioch and Iconium um, that came to Lustra. They're not going to go this way along. This is a, kind of the imperial road, the imperial highway. Um, so they make their way to Derby. A Derby is, I don't know, it's about halfway between Antioch and Tarsus. And we have no real reason to, uh, to know what, you know, what their thinking was. But I imagine if that they're here, that one, uh, one place that they would look to go to next might be just go back to Tarsus. What's it, what, or when I say go back to Tarsus, to go to Tarsus. Now, who's in Tarsus? Or what's, what's in Tarsus? What is Tarsus? Yeah, it's where Paul is from. They went to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas is from, and made their way to Tarsus. Now, that would have been a safe bet. Um, and... The reason I say that uh, is because on the second missionary journey, Paul will take that route from Antioch, and he'll actually take the road to Tarsus, to Derby, and he comes this way, and then he will eventually make his way to Greece. And so this would have been a highway that he would have kind of either desired to take or wanted to take on their way back. Um, but instead, instead of going to Tarsus, they go back to Lustra. Now, that's kind of the last place that I would want to go. I mean, we kind of talked about that last time. Like, he was stoned, and then he went back into the city and then left the next day. So whether he kind of went under hiding and then said, you know, just, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the circumstances was, but they left the next day, and they moved on to the next town, not going back to where everyone was pretty angry uh, and wanting him to not go back. But instead, you know, Paul decides that, they're, they made many disciples here, and I think that's a, a pretty big um, encouragement that the Lord gave Paul, that they made their way to Derby, and I don't know, you know, here, uh, you know, remember the first day, uh, 
They preached the, the gospel in the synagogue. Well, actually, so let's kind of backtrack. And I was going to do this at the end, but it's not bad to do, to do now. So Paul makes a disciples, and they make their way, and they're preaching in synagogues. And the, only, the, the main thing that we hear is at the end, somebody believes. Do you remember who that was? Whether you know his name or his title. He was the, the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, uh, believed. And so he would have been the kind of the main Roman uh, governor of that area. And so after Cyprus, things were pretty encouraging. You know, we preached at synagogues. There's no negatives. The only negative was this magician that kind of opposed him, but Paul made him blind, and you know, then, then the proconsul believed because of that. And so then they moved their way up here. It would have been a long journey, but then the first time they get to, the, the, to Antioch, they get to the Sabbath, they're asked to preach in the synagogue and so to, to speak. And so he speaks in the synagogue, and people are begging him to come the next day. So far, pretty encouraging. The next week they come, large crowds are out wanting to hear what Paul's saying, but now things are starting to turn. And the Jews con- convince the people to push them, uh, to, to get them out. But when they leave, remember what, you remember what they did when they left the town? It kind of did this one symbolic thing to say, like, all right, well, we're done with you. Yeah, shook the dust off. So in some sense, it's almost like they're leaving on their own accord. Like, all right, we hear you. We're moving on, shaking the dust off our feet. But when they get to Iconium, um, same thing. Some people respond, but then they're pushed out of town. And when they get to Lustra, they're revered as gods. And Paul's like, no, we're not gods. And then all of a sudden, the crowds turn on them and throw stones on them. So every city, things are getting worse, right? It was very encouraging here. Pretty encouraging, but starting to turn, getting a little worse and worse and worse. And you can almost imagine that maybe it's just good to just kind of pack up our bags and leave. And to just kind of make our way home. We made disciples. We, we kind of did our job. Um, but they get to Derby, And again, it's only like one verse. But they're there. They made many disciples. We don't even know how long they were there for. But we don't hear any, any major conflict. But we do see that they went back um, and made their way back. And it's, again, real quick. I mean, sometimes, you, like, you know, in your, your Bible reading, you just kind of read it. And then they went there, and then they went back, and then they kind of do this. But you kind of stop and think, you know, what's happening, what they would have been going back to, what they would have been going towards. And so it says they returned to Lustra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So they made many disciples, and they paused and said, we're going back. Again, maybe that was our plan all along. Um, but we don't know what their plan was. We, we, we kind of have, have kind of, I kind of have built this case, like why they're going to certain places um, and what was the reason for certain places. One thing that I, I hadn't really thought of um, that I was kind of thinking about that uh, we said that they went from here to this area, but why do they kind of cover this area? Well, if you remember in, uh, when, when Paul or Peter, uh, or I guess before Peter preached the gospel in, in uh during Pentecost in Jerusalem, there was all these people from different areas. And one of the areas was this area here. And so there would have been people that would have heard the gospel that might have made their way back up. You know, again, remember some people were, were staying in Jerusalem and God had to kind of uh, pers- do, do some persecution for them to flee. Might have made their way back up. We also know that there was a kind of a road that was a tough road, but there was a lot of Jewish settlements where people would have kind of landed, but they, their, their goal was to make their way up to Antioch, and then they were kind of pushed. This is the main highway that may, goes all the way to Ephesus from here, but they were pushed this way, and eventually they make their way to Derby. And so, was that their plan all along? I, I don't, you know, if you kind of read what Paul's missionary journeys, 
don't know if they necessarily have a plan. I think they have an idea about where they're going and what they're going to do. Um, it's not really communicated that way. Paul, uh, Luke's usually writing in the past tense. Um, this is where they went. This is what they did. Uh, or we went when, when Luke's involved. Um, but we kind of are just following the path and trying to make connections, why, why someone's going here or there. So we can't say for sure. But I think when he went to Derby, he's probably thinking, this might be our last stop. It might be good, instead of going all the way back and sailing back, that was another thing that, um, there was a, I guess Stanford did a study on um, how much it would have cost to uh, sail in like 200 AD, so this is around 50 AD, and so you can kind of see how many denarii it would have cost and how long it would have taken. Um, I'll give some details on that a little bit later, uh, but they would have tracked all these highways and sea paths during the ancient, um, ancient time. And so it, it would, it's more costly to go by sea, and it would have been much less costly, uh, less difficult road, um, to make their way to Antioch. There's also videos, it's really, I mean, with our day and age, it's really remarkable. If you typed in, I was trying to find how far it was from Derby to Tarsus, and I really never could find the actual mileage, but somebody had made a YouTube video of a flyover through Turkey um, of what the terrain would have looked like. And so it's like a five or six minute video. It was pretty amazing. You're kind of like, oh, so they would have gone through a lot of hills, and then they would have gone to these like area called the Gates of Cilicia, and then they would have gotten to Derby, and it would have been kind of like fields and plains. Um, and so it's kind of amazing some of the things that you can kind of uncover for that. But they would have made it back and then been able to go back to Antioch and kind of said, okay, we're done. But something made them turn around. One, I think the encouragement of being at Derby uh, was an encouragement for them. But why go back? Instead of being encouraged and saying, like, you know, I've got, I've, we've made disciples um, at Derby. Let's just go back to Tarsus and, you know, hopefully everything will be good. So why go back? Why go back to the town that stoned you? Why go back to the places where they actually traveled, you know, 20 miles or 80 miles to, to get to, to actually, like, incite a mob? Like, places that they don't want you back. Zach, why go back? Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but, and it does seem like, yeah, when he goes to all these different places, so really, what, what do you think Paul's overall feeling? He does like to set up leadership, but why? Is it one of those things that, like, he's like, oh, man, I totally left those cities and I forgot to set up leadership. He sets up leadership because what does he know about churches. the churches? Yeah. Why, why, does, why does he set up the leadership there? Yeah. Yeah. So one, uh, to help guard against all those people that are going to want to twist and turn the words. And we see that like why Paul wrote letters. Um, if he set up elders and that was it and everything was fine, then Paul wouldn't need to write the letters that fortunately we have that gives us a lot of instruction about who Christ is and about how the church operates and about you know, things about the future and, and, and all of these things. So it's, it's almost fortunate for us that there were difficulties in those churches. Um, but what else would the people face? So not only like heresy and error inside the church, but what are those people facing? Persecution. Persecution. Yeah. Uh, Paul had to show them the guy that's not giving us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love. Exactly. Exactly. 
What was that again? <laughs> okay. <laughs> really bold. Really bold. Really. <laughs> Not only bold, but what does that show about Paul's character? It was more than that. Yeah. Out of the city and presumed him to be dead. So he had to be in pretty bad shape. For him to get up and, and travel, what, seven miles to, uh, to the next city to go back on his business? 60 miles. He's still preaching the gospel. So that, that had to be, again, that they would see this, this miracle before them. Yeah. And that he's still going. It, I mean, it helps with their belief. Yeah. But think of the people who stoned him, how they must have felt. I mean, he, first of all, he came walking back in after they left him for dead. And then, he, if that wasn't enough, he came back again. To say, I mean, you know, it's like they did all that they could. Well, it wasn't yeah, enough. He's got to wash his face and said, okay, let's go to Durban. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and... and uh I mean, again, Luke just kind of says, like, and then he went here, here, and here, you know, and just real quick. But, I mean, again, you don't see any difficulties they face. The only few things we'll see, and we'll talk about in just a second. Um, but, but Paul and Barnabas decided, like, let's go back. And so what does that kind of show you about Paul's heart? He's faithful. He's faithful. He's loyal. He perseveres. He perseveres, yeah. He's <laughs> and he really cares for these churches. I mean, if you're going to go back into the heat of, of, you know, he was the one that had stones thrown at him. If he's going to go back, it shows, like, he loves them more than whatever difficulties he's facing, you know. And, and so it's kind of one of those, like, you know, if something happened, you know, would you throw yourself, you know, in front of somebody else? Would you go into a fire and, and rescue somebody, you know? And the reason why you do that. Um, especially knowing the danger is because you, you, you value whatever is in that danger more than the danger that will fall upon you. And then he knew that the Lord was with him. Does it mean that, and, and yeah, we'll get to this in a second because Paul's going to echo this message. Does it mean like if the Lord's with you, nothing bad's going to happen? <laughs> Certainly not, right? Um, the Lord was with him, uh, but difficulty still he would face it. It kind of even echoes back to what, what did Jesus say when he called Paul out, when he made him blind, when he was still Saul? What did he say? Actually, he didn't say it to him. He said it to. Yeah, how are you going to suffer uh, for the for for my name's sake, right? And so he is he is suffering. And later in his letters, he would say like, "We count it joy to suffer because why? Because Christ suffered. So so we can suffer like Christ suffered, and." Uh, and be encouraged by that. So what changed about the second time going back to these cities? <clears throat> so in the first, first pass-through, what was, what was the main goal? Evangelism. Evangelism. Yeah. To preach the gospel and to make disciples. You know, it's a great commission, right? And Paul could say, like, I did that. And I went in there, I preached the gospel, I'm done. You know, some missionaries do that. They go to a town, they preach the gospel, and then they move on. But that's only part of the picture, because Paul goes back for a particular reason. So what, was, what were the new things that were done? What, what's the first thing that it says in verse 22? 
Yes, yeah, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And so he's, he went back to, one, encourage them. He's like, man, I bet, you know, and I don't know, maybe Paul, I don't see that from his letters. You know, Paul, you know, you see kind of like Paul's emotions. He's not the type of person that is just always positive, always happy. You know those people. You're like, man, you make me feel so bad because, you know, how's it going? Everything is great. I heard you had surgery. Yeah, but it went awesome. You know, I heard there were some difficulties with it. Yeah, but, you know, those things happen, you know. So, you know, so they're like, they just radiate encouragement. Again, I think that's how Barnabas was, right, being the son of encouragement. And so why he's paired together. We don't see any of these things. But Paul, you know, his, he's real. He's like, you know, emotional. He's, you know, says things that angers people. Um, and so... Uh, so he goes back, and, and they go back to encourage them, because he knows he's discouraged. And I always, I always go back to 2 Corinthians, where um, I think it's in chapter 1, where he says that we were, um, what was the word? I think it's we were discouraged, uh, we were exasperated to the point of death. Like, it was to the point where they were so um, spent that, like, death actually looked like a good thing to them. And so imagine just that, that point that you get to when that actually looks like a comforting, comforting thing. There's different reasons that push us to that. And so he's like, I'm going back to encourage them. Why would they need encouraging? We kind of talked about that. Um, when Paul left, you know, like he preached the gospel and he's like, see you later. And then they're staring like at all the eyes that were just like targeting, you know, the, the guys who came through town. And who would they be looking at? They would be looking at, their family, they would be looking at, you know, the people that they know, they would be working beside, you know, the people that are, don't believe what they believe. And, and hopefully, you know, some of them aren't all angry. It seems like the, the leadership are the ones who kind of turned against Paul. But they would have been right there kind of in that vacuum and would have left with a lot of backlash, you know. And those people, like, you know, would have been saying things like, you know, you can't believe those guys, you know, don't, don't, don't turn. I mean, they, those are false teachers. Like now they're out of town, like come back. Like don't, don't believe the things that they, they said. And so there would have been a lot of probably questioning um, what went on. And so Paul needed to go back to encourage them. His physical presence would have been encouragement. Like we heard you got stoned <laughs> and you're back. I mean, that is a huge encouragement, especially when you hear a missionary that talks about when on the field and they talk about their persecution, like that is an encouragement to hear them standing today, you know, and hear what they went through. That's an encouragement just for them to be there and to encourage them because they're not going to stay there. They're going to keep moving on, but to say like, Hey, you can, you can get through this. Has anyone had an experience where their faith kind of left them in a situation where other people were, um, I don't know, not, were displeased with your faith? Probably less so in, in our country, but, uh, you know, sometimes those things happen. You know, whether you know somebody who um, are still grew up very religious, you know, outside of Christianity, which again is a majority of what people say in this country, um, but if you had a Jewish background or a Muslim background, usually the families are, are pretty, pretty upset to hear um, about, about those things. Um, but you can imagine, you know, some lived a debauched lifestyle. People are just kind of confused. You know, you were like this a few weeks ago, but now you're the, you say you're this. Um, and so, so that's what Paul is going back into because 
the people would have been left surrounded by others who would have either been angry or confused. Some would have been questioning, and that would have been a chance for them to, to help disciple others but, uh, and share the gospel with others. But Paul knew that he needed to go back to encourage them. And so how do they encourage them? Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. You, you believe in Jesus. You trust in Jesus. Like, you know, you, you've got, you're protected. It's going to get worse. <laughs> right? So encourage them to continue in the faith, to remain steadfast, and that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. There are a lot of trials. This is just one. This is your first one. Welcome to the club, you know. And so... There are many tribulations in order to enter the kingdom of God. And we all go through that, right? We all go through, um, you know, times of doubt. So that'll be one. It'll be internal of, do I really believe what I believe? You know, I'm, I'm, I know I made this profession, but, you know, I'm going through this difficulty. And so there'll be internal issues. There'll be external issues. Why do you believe what you believe? And sometimes, you know, you know, if you have a conversation that you feel like, wow, it didn't go the way that I thought it would go, um, you know, you kind of you are left feeling in an area of uneasiness. And so Paul says, continue in the faith. There's going to be a lot of tribulations. There's going to be a lot of tribulations you guys are going to encounter. This is not, not the first one. You know, there'll be times of, of peace, but there'll be times where, um, you know, things will get difficult. And they'll get difficult because of what you believe. And so not only that, that was kind of seems like primary on their agendas to encourage them, but what do they do next? Verse 23. They appointed elders at every church. So it's interesting noting that word, that church, is uh, by that time, just leave, you know, by just the time that they spent in all of those cities, that collection of believers in that one geographical area was enough to constitute a church. It was a local gathering of the believers there in that area. And so they went and, and he appointed elders uh, for every church. So we see that leadership is important at every church. Leadership is important, one, to, to kind of help be those people that will encourage, help be those people that will instruct, help to defend from heresy, to kind of have that shepherd mindset, that, that looking out for what's best in the interest of these churches there. It's kind of one of these questions that we don't really know the answer to, but what do you think the quality was like of the elders? It's kind of what it was like. What do you think the quality was like of the elders? The quality. What's that? They're pretty new. Pretty new, right? Pretty new to the faith. Now, some, again, remember, they might have been at Pentecost, and so he could have, he could have been drawing from some that had, were not new to the faith. But I feel like in a lot of these areas, um, it's new ground. I mean, this was kind of the area that we see that was there at Pentecost, and this is, you know, even though it was a major road, uh, there might have been people that they were there to draw from, you know, in each of those towns. But for a lot, there might have been pretty new. You know, in some areas... Imagine in Lustra, we, we only see one man that was converted. I mean, there, there had to have been others, um, likely, uh, but um, the scenario and the circumstances that kind of came up, we, we don't see a lot. Now, Paul was guided by the Spirit to appoint elders, but we also know in all the places that they went, right, because Paul wrote letters, 
He didn't write letters to these people, so maybe that's a positive thing. But all the places that he went, he had to write letters for what reason? Yeah. For Timothy? Timothy and Titus. Yeah, yeah. So would he have been consistent? Uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Um, yeah, so kind of one of those, that's the question that I was kind of talking to your dad about uh, a few weeks ago. Um, when I was in Honduras a couple years ago, there's a friend of mine that I, uh, is involved with different um, churches that came up from a radio ministry. So it was a group of people that you kind of heard the radio, and when you go to these areas, you know, it's kind of like a dirt road that just kind of meanders through an area, and uh, somehow they collect into, you know, uh, a place to, to find a church, but they kind of started these churches, but a lot of them are women, you know, a couple of the men are new to the faith, and so what do you do, you know, is this constituted church, do you, and I remember that was the question I was talking to my friend about, is it best to appoint a man, uh, you know, that would fall under part of the qualifications, you know, but not all of them, uh, to have some sort of leadership, or, you know, what do you do? Um, and so those questions are kind of like, I don't know, what do you do? Because a lot of times we're part of churches that are already established and, um, you know, or under the auspice of another church. In that case, you might say, well, maybe they're not even a church. They're a gathering of believers, and that seems to constitute what Paul would identify with, with what a church is, but they hadn't got to the point where elders have been appointed and developed. And even if elders are appointed and developed, do they always stay true to their calling? And unfortunately, they, they don't always stay true to their calling. And we see that as evidence you know, of the letters that Paul wrote, that some people deserted the faith. Um, some people you know, walked away, probably in your own experience at different churches, of some of the elders that, uh, you know, at your churches that either, you know, and pastors alike that either got caught up in some issue or transgression at one point would have fallen under all the qualifications but then fell. And we even see Paul dealing with that in his letters about how that works. So we hope that Paul did the the best of what he can. Would he have been consistent with what he told Titus and Timothy? Um, I would hope so, that that would have been part of what he was looking for. But I also think that Paul is still developing what he's looking for as well. And it might have been by the time he got to Titus and Timothy, maybe he learned from some of his own mistakes. We actually don't know because here we don't see any of the letters to any of these specific churches. We see to Galatia, which is kind of this area here, which might include some of the things that that we see there. But the letter to Galatians is mostly about uh, uh, particular heresies and uh, doctrine. Um, And so not necessarily about church leadership specifically. So that's a question mark, Zach, as far as like, would he have been consistent uh, hopefully he was consistent later on in his life, and maybe, again, some of the, the qualities that he, you know, that the Lord had kind of helped him see through his own experience is like, yes, some men, if you, if you lay your hands on and they're not, you know, they're too young or they're, they're too new, that they do drift away. So maybe that was a quality that, that he's, he's like, if you're in that position to do, um, to, uh, to do as best as you can. But we, what's that? Yes. Right. Well, again, there could have been. And what was a little? What was a little different? When you say new to the faith, 
They've been new to Christ, but they would have also been not new to what God has been doing all through history. So they've been grounded in God's Word, um, which in a lot of sense you know, would be good enough. You know, God's moral character doesn't change. It's just this is the Messiah that God had talked about. And so, uh, so, there, so Paul could draw, draw, especially in these areas where we do see synagogues from men that would have been converted that, that could have been those people that people would have been respected, that's quality of an elder, um, that would have been able to manage their household well, like all of these things uh, that wouldn't have been new. And, and for Timothy and Titus specifically, they're in areas that are more Gentile, that that would have been that, that qualification not new to the faith because they would have been coming from a pagan background, not grounded in God's moral character in a totally different worldview. So in some sense, you know, Paul, Paul's... Uh, um, you know, Paul's uh, setting up of elders, you know, was, uh, was going to be new. And again, there might be lessons that he's learned. We know that some will fall um, because of letters that, that have been written later. Um, but they're doing the best they can. What was the, what was the way that they went about um, choosing elders? What practice was involved? So prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, same as in Antioch. The, the elders there, leadership there was, was in prayer and in fasting. And uh, then that was when Paul and Barnabas were appointed to the work that they were doing. So having the right heart towards God and having God help them make the, the right decisions uh, in that. Ultimately, who did Paul trust would guide the church? Yeah, All right. Because with prayer and fasting, it committed them to the Lord. They had to go, they had to leave, they had to move on to the next town and do the same thing and build, build that leadership up, but ultimately committed them to the Lord. Laid aside is the, is the word. Laid them aside to the Lord and said, this is the Lord's work. Right? We've got the Lord who has appointed these elders and these elders have appointed you, but the, the whole church is in the care of the Lord. Because why? Jesus said... That is his church that he is building. It is ultimately Christ's church that he will build. And even looking at Revelation, when you see those churches that were established that are later rebuked for whatever reason, uh, they got lost along the way, or maybe, you know, whatever, you know, again, all the things that, that uh, Joel was kind of going through for the difficulties that they were facing and, and all the trials and whatever the, the reason was at the particular church. That ultimately, some, you know, the Lord said, I will remove the lampstand from this church if I deem that to be the case. And so they went back through the fire, back through those towns, and then they're finishing the journey. So then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there remained no little time with the disciples. So Pisidia uh, is kind of this region in, in uh, southern, kind of in the middle, southern uh, Turkey, or uh, of where um, that they came to. Uh, Pamphylia, actually, so this is... This is... Uh, there's all those P's. So this is Pisidia. And this is kind of Pamphylia. It was Pamphylia that was the language, one of the languages that was talked about in, in Pentecost, um, where some people had heard 
the gospel. And they made their way to Perga, which is uh, kind of a town right here is where they first kind of landed. And they then went to, they preached the gospel there. So that's kind of one of the things that we see that they, when they went through, it doesn't say anything about stopping and preaching the gospel, but it shared the word um, when they made it to there. Uh, and then they went to Italia. Again, it's a, kind of a new city. It was kind of right there. It was about 10 miles from uh, Perga. And um, then they sailed from there to Antioch. Why did they sail to Antioch? What was Antioch? What's that? It was home, right? It's their home church. Again, everything, every missionary journey will start from Antioch. This is their home church. Now, it says when they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So that kind of phrase, commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Um, that word commended is kind of delivered or handed over. Uh, verse um, In chapter 15, verse 40, you're going to see a kind of similar language um, that Paul is, was commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So what would that kind of indicate about Antioch's role in Paul's and Barnabas' missionary journey? That they had been, that Paul and Barnabas were delivered over to the Lord for this work that they had been commended. So really it's kind of the, the church saying, all right, you're now in the Lord's hands as you go, and we will pray for you, we'll support you as best we can, we'll, we'll wish you well, again, we'll continue to uh, help you as much as we can in prayer. Um, what does that indicate kind of what Antioch's role was in this process? Yeah. So what would we call that kind of today? Ascending, Ascending church. Yeah. So you kind of have that, that kind of, kind of idea is that, you know, sometimes missionaries will go to like multiple churches to kind of get funding. But uh, I think how much richer that there's a relationship with a particular church that sends you out that says, you know, we're, we're standing by you. We might have to partner with other churches to support you. We might not have the resources and funds to do everything that, that needs to be done, but we'll do as best as we can. We think about you. Um, you know, uh, it was, it's amazing that, that friend in uh, Honduras, um, we were, came from a church uh, in San Diego, and they were showing me all the things that the church that had done uh, for them, uh, the church in San Diego that we had come out of, you know, like everybody took a pe- picture, you know, and just said, like, you know, around Christmas time, send them gifts, you know, cards, all these things. And so there was that, like, personal connection with the church that, you know, the church kind of helped organize to say, like, we love you, we're there by- for you, we support you. Because from the missionary standpoint, there's a lot of, a lot of uncertainty. You know, they're continuing doing the work, sometimes not seeing the fruit, um, some, sometimes, a lot of times maybe being discouraged by what's going on. But Antioch was their sending church that commended them to the Lord and said, we go. And, then, and when they came back, um, what did they do when they first arrived? Gave a report. Right? Gave their PowerPoint slides of uh, what went on. Um, but, you know, just told them everything that had happened. You know, in detail, the joys, the ups, the downs, the things that they encountered, the sacrifices that they had made. But ultimately, what was the, the main thrust? 
What's the thing that they said? The Gentiles. Yeah, we are, we've opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That language kind of, kind of shows that, that you know, we went to synagogues. That was kind of our goal. We shared the gospel. Jews are coming to faith. But now the Gentiles are not only hearing, but the Gentiles are responding. So they said it's kind of the doors open that planted churches. We've got leadership that hopefully in this area that is a more Gentile, the further away you get from Jerusalem, that it's going to open up the door. Ultimately, you know, you're going to start seeing in some of Paul's letters what the goal is. You know, next time they're going to come up, and I think they're going to just try to stay in this area here, but then God says, keep going west, keep going west, and, and keeps pushing them to an area that they weren't quite ready for, but they're going to go share it to the Greek areas, and then his goal is to, to go all the way out to Spain eventually. But the Lord is just kind of opening a door. But for now, their mission is done. It says they remained no little time with them. Luke doesn't indicate how long that was. Uh, most scholars think that it's about a year to 18 months, no little time. Um, it's very open-ended. Uh, but you see, you'll see some things historically that kind of you know, frame what that looks like um, for what they did. And so maybe in their minds, and I guess when we get to kind of chapter 15, in their minds, they're back in Antioch. They did exactly what the Lord had done for them. Mission's done. Don't quite know if they have on their heart to go do a second missionary journey or a third missionary journey. We know historically that's what happens. But for them, they're done. They traveled a total of uh, 1,250 to 1,500 miles. Um, It took them... Travel days, according to that Stanford study, following routes and sea routes and things like that, it would have just been 53 days alone. So almost two months of just walking or on a boat uh, to get to the places where they would have gotten. Uh, Most scholars believe that it was a minimum of a year, uh, likely probably two years that they were away um, and, uh, and going from place to place uh, to do what they needed to do and to, to preach the gospel. And so from that, what have we learned from this first journey? Um, what, is it, what do we see about the character of Paul and Barnabas? We kind of touched on some of those things. What are the things we kind of get from, from Luke's kind of historical account of what, what happened? What do we know about Paul and Barnabas? They fully, fully believed in the end game. Their perseverance, exactly. Their, their boldness. Uh, they're persuasive at times. Their heart as a shepherd. Their desire to care for these groups. Um, what about the message that they, they preached? Uncompromising. 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 Yeah. And we, we, you know, we even saw that, you know, if you look, if you just looked at his message alone to the synagogue in uh, Antioch, you'd get kind of one part of the picture of like, this is your Messiah, this is how God's worked historically, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead, he's given you hope. It's a very kind of positive, encouraging message. When you get to Lustra and they're revering him as gods, he's like, you're worshiping vain and empty things. It is, a Christ, you know, it is God alone who you need to worship, the living God who you need to worship. So we see different angles and aspects of his message depending on who he's talking to, but uncompromising would be a great way to say that. How did the Jews respond? 
<laughs> Some responded with faith, and usually it seemed like early on people were, were uh, responding and, and, and encouraged. You saw the same exact thing happen in Jerusalem at Pentecost. You know, the church had all these numbers added, and things were happening, and things were great, but then eventually what happened? It was a heart of jealousy, right? Jealousy of what was going on. Same thing in Jerusalem that happened in these other places. And then people, you know, pushed back and responded negatively. Some uh, believed, but many were angry. What about the Gentile response? While the Jews were getting angry, the Gentiles were filled with hope. But then eventually, as you get further along, some of the Gentiles now start uh, getting offended by the message, but similar to the Jews. And so we see a lot of things that we can kind of pull together. We're, we're right at the halfway point. Acts chapter 15 is the Jerusalem Council. We'll talk about that uh, next week or start talking about that next week. Um, it's kind of a, a turning point um, for a lot, of the, a lot of things about Jew and Gentile relationships. It's also kind of the halfway point. We're 14 chapters in, 14 chapters left to go uh, as we continue to follow Paul and Barnabas on their journeys. Any uh, closing thoughts or comments before we pack it up? Tim? I was just thinking about that kind of homecoming back to Antioch. You know, today our missionaries, we receive them back and we celebrate and all with that. But, you know, we've got FaceTime and WhatsApp and all the, you know, I mean, we communicate. So these guys were gone, you know, like you said, two years and, it's not like they had the Pony Express bringing his letters back. Oh, yeah, we're in Derby. We're doing good. Paul got stoned in Lister, but he's okay. They had no idea, you know. And all of a sudden, boom, here they are. Yeah. I, I just imagine that the celebration of the body, the church there, that that would really be awesome, you know. And, um, yeah, and, and, and what you'll see by also establishing churches, like I guess like the Pony Express, is you'll start to kind of have these network of even sending information and letters and things like that along major routes that uh, will lead them back to uh, where they came, either, either sailing or, or along the way. So the picture gets, uh, you know, well, you see the churches expand by the time we get to the third missionary journey um, of where all the places that they've been. That's good, good to know. challenge for us is we've got this technology utilizing it to encourage our missionaries. What's the difference? As much as you can be encouraged by phone, there's just something about face-to-face interaction that uh, we miss. That's uh, for another time, right? (laughs) Another time. All right, let's, uh, let's stop there and